You know, it was interesting, uh, James, about that song because there's another song as well that um, I don't know the, the exact song and the name of it, but um, the words go, well, the proper words go in, in, in the song, like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Does anyone know that? It's a more of a modern one. So, and Trish once, I remember, not here, somewhere, and they were singing that song and then they said, um, then you rose, ascended to your throne. And I thought, why would they change that? Because again, they can't comprehend this, the weakness of Christ in suffering and having taken on the, uh, you know, the form of a bondservant to the point of death. And so, you know, so they can't grasp those concepts, so they have to change it because the whole mantra today is, you know, victory and, and, um, uh, and so forth. And even when I went to a church not a couple of weeks ago when I was away, it was called Royals Church and the pastor was preaching and he's talking about his dominionism and victory and all that stuff and, and, um, and he's talking about, you know, we don't pray to heaven, we pray from heaven and a whole lot of stuff that I could go into. And then he's, um, he's reading and he's reading from Romans and he's quoting where it says, um, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, but then it says, even in our weaknesses. And he says that and he doesn't know where to fit it into his message. <laughs> so he goes, that applies to the world. <laughs> I thought, no, it doesn't. He's, I mean, people are not reading their Bibles. It was, so, it was just so crazy. But because they have such a concept of Christ that, they, that when they come across various scriptures, they just can't fit into the theology. So they have to just dismiss it with something when we know that the scripture says in Romans it's talking about the weakness of the believer. It's okay. We have weaknesses. You know, thank God we have a high priest and who intercedes and, and accommodates and when I'm weak here, then I'm strong, you know. Like, let's put it all into context. It's not like we're glorifying our weakness, not at all. But there's a reality. Anyways, um, I could go on, but having said that, I better stick to what I'm going to preach this morning and uh, stay on on tune with that. But we can turn to Joshua chapter 24. Book of Joshua chapter 24. Now, as I began to prepare this message, um, I, I realised it was going to take more than one sermon to preach it. And uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to need two weeks, but as I'm thinking about it, I may need even another week. And so... I said to Pastor Werner if he would graciously allow me to preach next week as well and Pastor Werner being Pastor Werner, he said yes and so um, uh, that is much appreciated, looking forward to that. So, but we're going to start with the first part of this message and James's message for the communion kind of sets the tone a little bit for what I want to consider. Um, he spoke about the wrath of God. I want to consider from our text the, um, what we could call the, the seriousness of God, if you want to put it in those particular terms, the seriousness that is so associated with God and with the Christian life. I have a book at home, it's, it's written by a man by um, the name of William Law um, and, he, and on the back of this book there's a, it just quotes him and um, uh, it, he wrote a book that was called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. A serious call. And he made emphasis on this word serious. 
And so, because when we're talking about the kingdom of God, when we're talking about things of God, there is an aspect of seriousness that we cannot escape and that is associated with the Christian life. And so, we're living in an age, and it really it's always existed, where there's a, a half-hearted approach where people are apathetic towards their Christian life. They go through the mundane and religious routines, really not paying close attention to the seriousness of what is recorded for us in the scriptures, the seriousness of what it entails to serve the living God. And William Law, um, he he said these words, and uh, let me quote him, he says, if you will stop here and ask yourself why you are not as pious as the primitive Christians were, your own heart will tell you that it is neither through ignorance or inability but because you never thoroughly intended it. And what he's highlighting is that you know, we can just float through life. We can float from week to week, month to month, month, year to year and not progress as God would have us to. And that's just not some coincidence. That's just not by chance. But he's highlighting the fact that uh, these uh, sometimes, sometimes where we find ourselves is, uh, is because uh, a results of the choices that we've made in life. And if we're going to be all that God wants us to be, if we're going to serve God acceptably, then we're going to have to uh, thoroughly intend to do so. You're going to have to take an approach that's going to be a bit more than the casual and you're going to have to take on a bit more of a serious demeanour, if you want to put it that way, as you approach the Christian life and seek to accept God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, so the Bible would tell us. And so our choices in life are critical. Can you say amen? They they are critical uh, and we're making choices all the time and so we want to consider what a sermon that I've entitled The Covenant at Shechem, or Shechem, however you pronounce it, And this is where we're going to pick up our text where Joshua is speaking and addressing the children of Israel as uh, um, uh, obviously uh, towards the end of his life and he's wanting to reiterate some things before them so that they'll have a clear comprehension and a clear understanding of what it means to serve God acceptably. And so it's an interesting portion of text and um, I've preached on this over the years, uh, uh, but as, as I began to study it afresh again, that I, again the Lord opened further my understanding which I want to share with you and that's why I kind of have to lay this foundation first before we proceed to go further into what the text is telling us. But we're talking about the covenant at Shechem and uh, it reveals to us just how serious God is and how serious we need to be. So let's read Joshua chapter 24. We're going to start at verse 14. The Bible says, Now therefore uh, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. 
For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people including the Amorites who dwelt in the land We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, Uh, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now therefore he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us, and it shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Now, I want to just focus for a moment and I want to make a a re-emphasis of this word serious. And I know and I acknowledge in many degrees, uh, my my children will tell me again and again, Dad, you can be so serious. And I know I can. But I tell you, when you read a text like this, you can't not be serious. You know, there is an aspect of the seriousness of God that is being captured in these verses that we should take the time to consider and understand because uh, when it comes to the things of God, can you really be too serious? Now, let's look at the way this word is defined and I don't mean this in scripture here, I just want to look at the English word that we know as serious. Because it's quite interesting when you, uh, as I was just looking it up simply in the dictionary, just to consider it. And so when we find the word, we find various uh, definitions associated with it, but one of them is grave. Grave. And uh, this is in the context of uh, in quality or matter in terms of the issues that are being considered or dealt with. And it goes on to say in the dictionary, grave suggests the dignity and somberness associated with weighty matters. Now, let's lock your mind onto that phrase, weighty matters. Weighty matters, because we're dealing with weighty matters when it comes to the kingdom of God. The word serious is also defined as uh, being carried out in earnest. So, in the context of the, the, the disposition of in, an intensity of purpose that we need to take if we're going to live the Christian life. You just can't be haphazard. If you don't aim anywhere, you won't hit a target. You know what I'm saying? You have to be focused, you have to have a course and you have to be moving with intent in a particular direction. When in other words, you have to be serious about that 
which you are carrying out or doing. Under the word serious, you'll also find a definition that says it's not trifling or in other words, um, uh, you know, what we're dealing with is not trivial but it's uh, simple and straightforward for our understanding and it also uses the word here, it's not jesting. Now, jesting, what does the word jesting mean? And again, I had, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm continuing just to consider these things and look them up further but the word jest uh, literally means to, to act or speak playfully or to make witty remarks or even to scoff. And so we can be jest, we can, be, we can treat the things of God in jest, so to speak. We don't take a proper disposition. We don't take, uh, we don't, uh, take the, uh, the element of seriousness that God would have us in approaching the word of God and the Christian life and we see this. And so I find that Sometimes, uh, if with, even with my own children, and if, you, if you're a parent, you may understand this, or just in general as a pastor, if you're trying to emphasise and you're wanting to be serious to teach them a lesson or to tell them a truth, and yet, you know, they'll go, you know that smirk I'm talking about? You know, they're, they're all, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a disposition. You say, wipe that smile off your face, I'm serious. And so because uh, sometimes we're not really capturing the essence and the seriousness of what is being spoken or reiterated. And so uh, when we talk about jest, we're talking about a, uh, again, it's defined as a, a frolicsome or frivolous mood. And so in other words, you know what, it's happy-go-lucky. Or as Sam said this morning, the Australian colloquialism is she'll be right, mate. She'll be right. Nah, this is serious. She'll be right, man. You know what I'm saying? Because that's, uh, we're not grasping the, the, the immensity, we're not grasping the seriousness of the, of the issue that is at hand. And this is detrimental to the one who's missing it as, as, uh, as, as it should be understood. And isn't it interesting? So, in other words, what's happening is, is they're making light of the situation. They're not considering it as a weighty matter. They're not serious and treating the issue seriously, but their, uh, their perception of it is one that is light. They treat it with an element of contempt, maybe. They scoff at it, maybe. They are, uh, they're just not having a disposition or an attitude that would be required for that situation. But can I tell you this? And I say this because in the Bible, when God turns up, people get serious. Can you say amen? When God turns up, all of a sudden everyone's like, attention. Because I tell you, when God comes, there is, uh, it gets people's attention. You know, you, the world says, you know, this God, this God, that. When I stand before God, I'll, I'll let him know. And they, they act all high and mighty. But the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I tell you now, they will have a serious disposition on that day. But it will be too late. And so that, that seriousness that we're talking about, oh, it'll come. When you see God for who he is, amen, you will, you will be gripped with reality. You will be gripped with the fear of God. So even when it comes to the Christian life, there must be a disposition. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you to will and to do, for his good pleasure. So, you know, God has an intent, God has a purpose, but unless you are inclining your heart to that, unless you are taking serious the the call of God, the purpose of God in your life, then you will not fulfil it. And if you are going to embrace it, if you are going to align yourself, then uh, that disposition must be one of fear and trembling. Or in other words, you need to be serious about it. You know, it's, it's the one who doesn't treat the things of God with seriousness. They're the ones that will fall astray. They're the ones that will bear the consequences. I'll say, oh, you're taking things too serious all the time. Well, if it's there, if God says it, then it must be treated as such and nothing else. So, we need to have a serious approach to the Christian life. Now, I say that because failure... Failure to, uh, to approach the Christian life properly will result in consequences. It is inevitable. That which you sow, you will also reap. It's the divine laws of God. And so, um, we find that the issue of seriousness is critical to the Christian life. But this is exactly what Joshua is highlighting in our text, if we can just briefly, and I don't want to, I'm not moving through the text, but I want to just highlight it for the minute to illustrate this further. If you go to verse 18, and Joshua is declaring for himself and his house that he will serve the Lord, and, um, and he's talking about the need for the people of God to serve the Lord, and in verse 18 it says, And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. Uh, this is the people responding to, to Joshua. And they said, we also will serve the Lord. Yeah, of course, oh Joshua, we'll serve God too. But you see, if you read the scripture, you get a sense that Joshua is a bit more mindful of where they're at because he goes and says in verse 19, but Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your sins and your transgressions. I mean, wait a minute. We just said we're going to serve him. Shouldn't we all just be happy and rejoice? But yet Joshua is pushing the fact that that you better understand what it means when you say, I'm going to serve the Lord. And so it's interesting because I get the impression as I look at that, that that their response to Joshua is more based on sentiment than on seriousness. You know, well, everyone else is serving the Lord. You're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord too. Well, do you really know what it means when you say that? When you say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I was raised in a Christian family. Yeah, I'm going to serve the Lord too. Do you understand what you mean by that and what that entails? Because if you're going to say that, then you must grasp what such choices require of you, Joshua is saying you better know what it means to serve the Lord and you better do it properly because God is a holy God. He's a jealous God and he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. It's like, hmm, well, wait a minute. That's a bit of a slap in the face really, isn't it? But Joshua is reiterating the seriousness of the moment and the seriousness of what's ahead. If you read the Bible, you know, Hebrews is a pretty serious letter, isn't it? I mean, you read through parts of, you'll be confronted with some of the most uh, serious scriptures of the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. I'm talking, you read it and you go, whoa, this is heavy, very weighty. 
and, uh, and yet you find the same expressions throughout the, um, uh, the book of Hebrews. Like God is holy. Without holiness, no one can see the Lord and the chastisement of God that's associated with that. You find that the scripture says our God is a consuming fire. His uh, uh, Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so you're getting this picture in the book of Hebrews, uh, not so much just uh, about the, the love of God as such, uh, but also the seriousness that is associated in serving God. And if we're going to do that, then we better understand his holiness, we better understand that he's a jealous God, we better understand that he demands uh, holiness from us, uh, because the failure to obey and do what God requires will bear great consequence in our lives. God has expectations, he has demands, he has commands in his word. And someone might stop me at this point and say, well, wait a minute, but what about love? And I say to you, you're missing the point because that's exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly the issue is love, our love for God, our love to obey him, our love to serve him with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. And so when we talk about love, uh, we, we understand the holiness and righteousness of God, we understand the, the commands of Scripture, then Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So the issue is not the love of God, the issue is our love for God. Because it's one thing to say, I love you, Lord, and yet live contrary to his words. The two cannot go together. You see, God has demonstrated his love. Even in, in the nation of Israel, you see it when, him, when he talks about bringing them out of Egypt and he carried them on eagles' wings and he fed them uh, you know, manna in the desert and water from the rock and the fire by night and the cloud by day. I mean, the provision of God was such uh, all because of his love. But he warned them. He said, you better make sure this is serious, this Christian life. And so too, we look at Calvary, we see God's love demonstrated again uh, in that God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Um, we, uh, there's no greater love than to lay down your life. And so we can't, don't question God's love just because you don't understand his holiness or just because you don't understand the seriousness of God when it comes to some of these issues and you misjudge it as his harshness or, or somehow uh, you know, he's, he, he's, he's mean. No, no, not at all. He's God. And he's a God of love and he's a holy God and he's a God of holiness. The question is, will we love him as he requires us to? Because the love that the Bible talks about is not some sentimental, some wishy-washy, emotional thing. It is demonstrated in, 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 uh, in the reality of obedience and that is how it must be judged and must be seen. Now I'm saying all of this and I pray that I'm communicating the seriousness of what I'm talking about. The Bible says in Romans 11, it says, Consider the goodness and the severity of God. In other words, you must understand, yes, it's, we can praise him for the goodness of God, but you can't disassociate that from the severity of God. Because the two are married together and we are required to understand the goodness and the severity. And everyone wants to dwell on the goodness without considering the severity. But there is a severity, there is a seriousness and that is what we want to understand.
Now, in doing, to do that more so, I want to turn to... Well, actually, I don't want to look at the text yet, but I want to consider with you the context, the context of which we find our text in, because this sheds even further light for our understanding of what we're dealing with here. And it was this that the Lord began to show me as I was studying this and opening my understanding, because... There is a seriousness that is associated with the text but what is interesting is where the people are. The people are at Shechem. This is where they are with Joshua. This is where this event is taking place and you must understand that there is a significance to Shechem in the Bible. It has great significance that applies to Abraham himself because Abraham passed through here as he embarked on um, uh, 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 the land of promise as God had given him and he built an altar there at this place and he called upon the Lord under the oak. Now that's interesting for later uh, because we'll consider that possibly next week uh, but nevertheless there's a, there's a, a connection here. We understand also that Jacob has a connection to Shechem. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 35 verse 4, So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. So here again, uh, in one instance you have Abraham uh, building an altar and worshipping God Almighty, the one true God, and yet now he's Jacob at Shechem and his household, he's gathering together their idols of idolatry and he's brought them to this place and the Bible says he hid them. And so again, you're picking up, there's a significance here about this place. It has a spiritual relevance and application, not just to Israel, but as we will consider it for ourselves. There is a serious aspect related to this. You know, the word Shechem in Hebrew, now this is where we get the understanding, it means this. Let me read it to you. It's Shechem. It says, the neck between the shoulders... Okay, well, that's pretty straightforward. As the place of burdens. Now, think about that for a moment because we're talking about, when we looked at the word serious, we're talking about weighty matters. Weighty matters. And they are at Shechem. And Shechem means the neck between the shoulders, or in other words, it says as the place of burdens. Because there is something serious about this place. What the children of Israel are doing at this, at this place, Shechem, needs to be considered as a burden, as a weighty matter that will, will hold them instead for the rest of their lives. There is a spiritual significance to this. What's happening right here is a weighty matter. It's a landmark moment. God wants them to take this forth so that they will remember this covenant that they were about to make with God that Joshua had addressed them about the seriousness of what they were embarking on, a seriousness of what it meant to serve the Lord. Let's illustrate this further. If you turn to chapter 8, in Joshua chapter 8. In verse 30, we find that Joshua is renewing the covenant of God with the children of Israel. 
And it tells us here at this place that Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the children of Israel. Now what's taking place here is, uh, is something that had, uh, was commanded by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 27 uh, when, when Moses says that uh, you're going to make a pronouncement of the curses and you're going to make a pronouncement of the blessings. And Moses instructs Joshua, at this point of time, when you enter the promised land, I want you to put these, these tribes at Mount Ebal on this side and I want you to put these tribes on, uh, the rest of these tribes on this side at Mount Gerizim and there you're going to pronounce the blessings and the curses because Shechem is there in the valley. And so here you have it. So let's look at, at verse 33 of Joshua chapter 8. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests and Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who bore among them, half of them, now here it is, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded, therefore uh, that they should bless the people of Israel. And, uh, and now listen to this, verse 34 and afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to, all, according to all that was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly uh, uh, of Israel, with the women, the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. So here it is. At this point of time, they are in the same place that they are at now in Joshua 24. And in a sense, they are almost rehearsing what is ultimately going to take place in Joshua 24 at this, in, in this text. But what's happening in Joshua 8 is directly related to the command of Moses in Deuteronomy 27 at Shechem. It relates to the blessings and the curses. So when the children of Israel think of Shechem, they feel the burden of what God exactly wants them to bear, that they would understand the blessings of the covenant and the curses of the covenant. In the context as well, that they would realise that there is a serious thing to serve the living God. And this is what's being reiterated. It's a weighty matter. You know, when you think about this place as well, it would be, uh, uh, think about this place because it was prominent throughout the Old Testament uh, where Jeroboam as well and other people went astray, but it also has a counterpart in the New Testament, this particular place, Shechem. Some of you may know what it is, but it's where Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman and he tells them they worship what they do not know. They have gone so, they're so far removed from, from proper worship of God that they don't even know what they worship. That's what Jesus said. And they are at this, he's having this conversation with the Samaritan woman in Shechem, so to speak, and what was once a weighty issue which was, uh, has been completely lost and obliterated and they are a lost people. And this is what can happen if we do not take the things of God seriously ourselves. We can drift. 
We, that, what, how do you think the modern church finds itself embracing such false doctrines and, pra- and embracing such lies? And we look at it and you go, how then does that happen? Well, they're missing something. They're missing something. And it has to do with this element of seriousness that we are considering in the Bible. You see, when Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman, he said these words, God is looking for those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. This is what God is looking for. And this really captures the essence. If we go back to our text in Joshua chapter 24, we just want to look at verse 14 out of the whole text for now. But Joshua begins his declaration and, uh, to the people and he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. In sincerity and in truth. You see, you've got to have the two connected. You can't have sincerity without truth because the reality is you're sincerely wrong and it doesn't matter how sincere you are. That's why people get mixed up. Well, they're so sincere. It doesn't matter how sincere they are. Unless they're is married to truth, it's insincere and it's false and it's unacceptable before God. It has to be spirit and truth, or in this case, sincerity and truth. And the issue of sincerity is a critical element to the Christian life because it has to do with the pure motives of our heart. What makes us do what we do? Why we do what we do? Because do you do what you do from the sincerity of your heart or are there other other motivations there that are triggering uh, why you do what you do? So I want you to think with me this morning about the motivations of your heart and I consider even myself in this equation, the motivations of my own heart and under the light of God's word help God help us to see because uh, God is looking for sincerity and he's looking for truth. Now the issue of truth is pretty self-explanatory so we don't want to dwell there but let's consider the word sincerity in the scripture here because this is what God wants says Joshua you've got to serve him in sincerity and in truth. This word in the Hebrew literally means entire, it means uh, integrity, truth, to be complete. Actually, that's the, the root meaning, to be complete, full, perfect, without spot, undefiled. Or in other words, when God looks at our heart, it has to be completely set apart and towards him. You see, God will not... God will not tolerate half-heartedness. That's why Jesus says, I wish you're either hot or you're cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you from my mouth because God cannot digest insincerity. It has to be sincere. It has to be complete. It has to be your whole heart. And that's why Jesus reiterated, you must love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and all your strength. It has to be the entirety of your being. It has to be all that you are. You cannot comment, I can't even say the word, commentalize, decommentalize. You know what I'm trying to say? (laughs) 
your life or your heart because I tell you, it, it has to uh, be associated with all. See, this is so critical. So it, it, it really lays a foundation of what God's expecting from us. So when we speak of being serious this morning, we're speaking about being sincere. I'm talking about a sincerity. Now I'm going to go again to the dictionary for this because I think it really does, uh, um, uh, it does it well for us to just define this a little bit further. When we talk about being sincere, well, what, what are we talking about? Well, it means being genuine, being you know not feigned. You know, feigned is when you're false. Oh hi, how are you? You ever met people? Like that? <laughs> you pick it up immediately, don't you? You know, I was on the bank, I've been looking at my bank loan and a few things and I've organised this appointment and then the bank sends me an email and it says, we're going to send you a relationship advisor. I'm thinking, I'm like, I I laughed, I said to Barbara, look at this, this is stupid. A relationship advisor? Listen, man, this is purely a business. I said, if it's based on relationship, then they won't have to ask me any questions, do they? They don't know who I am, they'll just give me the money. (laughs) But you see, uh, but it, 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 that's fine, that's false. Well, that, that's not sincere. And so when we're talking about sincerity, the word means being without hypocrisy or out, without pretense. In other words, you know, having a hidden agenda, another motive of the heart. The word also means unadulterated. It's pure. That's why Jesus, when he saw Nathaniel, he said, he's a man who's no, in whom is no guile. Jesus saw him for who he was. But then he looked at the Pharisees and he said (laughs) and this religious establishment and he could not digest their hypocrisy and their insincerity because that's what comes as a result of an insincere heart. In Ezekiel God brings an indictment amongst the children of Israel and he says to Ezekiel in chapter 33 verse 31 says God says these people with their mouth they show love they show much love or they speak everything I want to hear but he says their heart pursues their own gain their heart is not with me Jesus said it himself when he reiterated and he says with their lips they profess but their heart is far from me it's hypocrisy and Jesus cannot stand hypocrisy. I mean, you look at Jesus, when was he? He's, he's, he's most vehement and angry. And who did he speak so harshly against? Hypocrisy. Because they did not see sincerity. And when he, saw, and when he didn't see it, he, he met it and he confronted it for what it was. And that's why they couldn't stand him. But uh, you read some of his harshest words and he attacks this spirit. You know, because, you know, got to be, we, we can all, now let me say this, we can all fall into the trap of hypocrisy. But you know what hypocrisy is in, at the root of it? It's, it's performing, it's play acting. It's pretending to be somebody. You know, when, you know, in a sense, you know, when people are on the stage and they're doing their, their theatrical, they're, they're playing a role, that's hypocrisy. That's not who they really are. Because they get off the stage and they go, you know, and so, because hypocrisy is play acting. 
It's theatrical. So we, we want to walk the walk and talk the talk, but you know, who are we in our hearts? God says, you know, they come to you, Ezekiel, and they do what they know they have to do. This is where all of us can fall into this trap. Kids can fall in this trap, especially those that grow up in Christian households because the familiarity can breed contempt sometimes. And so we know what we have to do. We know the postures we have to take, when we have to stand, when we have to sit, you know, everything that God, <laughs> we know it all. We just go in the routine. But let me ask you this, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Because your heart has to be in this. Because I tell you, when you walk out those doors, how do you live? Who are you? Are you? Is your heart for the Lord where you say, I cannot compromise with that, I will not do that, I reject that. And then you, you take an approach that is serious, not just in church so that everyone can think you're by it, but when you're out there and you're amongst your school friends or your work colleagues or whoever and they, they see that there's something different about you because you are serious about your faith. The word sincere means without dissimulation, which... I had to look that up too. <laughs> it means that there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to hide. What you see is what you get. This is who I am. There's no ulterior motives. There's no facades. There's no falseness. And so when God says, I'm looking for sincerity, this is what he's looking for. He's looking for genuineness. He's looking for wholeheartedness. Because I, I say this to you again, failure to treat this seriously... Uh, will, will result in God having to deal with us and sometimes that's not in the most pleasant of ways. You know, in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And I've said this before, but you know, it talks about one of the kings, I think it was Azariah, says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. So it's, it's possible to do what's right, but not be sincere about it. Are you following me this morning? It's the heart, that's what, it's the motives, what causes you to do what you do. See, it's got to be our love for the Lord this morning. There's one last thing I want to consider here and if you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 because we find in the New Testament this expression sincerity and truth 1 Corinthians chapter 5 <clears throat> now Paul's addressing the Corinthian church there's an issue in which there's immorality amongst the brethren that has not yet and has fa- they've failed to judge and Paul's addressing how it, um, it will defile the church and, and the steps that need to be taken. But he says in verse, five, or verse 6, uh, he says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now here is the New Testament counterpart that is capturing the essence and the general disposition 
of the Christian life that God still looks for, that God still requires from us. And here in the the book of Corinthians, we see that there is a corruption that is taking place. Now, leaven in the Bible we know is symbolic of sin. And so, uh, and, and in this instance, Paul is talking about how a little leaven leavens the lump. And he's uh, uh, not only will when sin is allowed to be unjudged and operate, especially sexual sin within the uh, uh, the assembly, that will leaven that le- little leaven will leaven the lump, and it will permeate <coughs> and it corrupts uh, the whole. And that's why, isn't it interesting? In a few chapters back, uh, as God, as Paul is writing and he's talking about the seriousness of serving God, he says, "If anyone defiles his temple, him God will destroy." Hmm. Whoa. Alarm bells. That's serious. You see, because God doesn't allow us to play games in church. You know, people were talking about the wrath of God, and yet, um, you know, we look at the Old Testament, but what about the New Testament? I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they lacked sincerity. They had conceived a lie in their heart, and they fell down dead. Whoa, that's pretty serious. You say, well, it doesn't, thank God it doesn't happen now. Well, it might not happen literally now, but I tell you, the principle still remains the same. God hasn't changed. It's, this is serious. And so, when it says in verse 4, let us keep the feast, again, we're talking about, you know, not, not primarily here, we're not talking about the, uh, primarily the, the Lord's Supper, but let me say this, it applies to the Lord's Supper. That's why you'll hear people say, uh, as we partake of the emblems, that you better make sure that, one, that you're a Christian, and two, if you are a Christian, that if there's unconfessed sin, that you get your heart right with the Lord, because if failure to do so, the Bible says, if we don't judge ourselves, we will be judged. And the people had treated, uh, had treated the, the, the Lord's table as a common thing and they had violated it and corrupted it. And Paul says, that's why there's so many among you that are sick. That's why there's even some among you that are dying. Because Paul's saying, listen, this is serious. Don't you understand? You can't just play around with these things. This is not, some, this is not to be lightly considered. This is weighty matters we're dealing with here. And so we have to realise that in the Christian life, that there are some serious aspects to this. You can't just come to the Lord's table and have presumptuous sin at work in your life and partake and then go back out and live like a sinner. You are bringing judgment upon yourself and it's going to be quite hefty. That's what the scripture says. And so the scripture also tells us that it's not to be with the leaven of malice and wickedness in our hearts but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is the disposition of heart in which we are to serve the Lord that is acceptable in his sight. See, God doesn't want our lives to be corrupted by sin. Shall we continue in sin? Absolutely not. We are to pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And so we must understand some of the things that we're considering. God is demanding this morning sincerity and truth. And that, in saying that, it, it's not so much perfection. Let me put this right so you don't, miss it, don't take me out of context. But it's not so much perfection that God is looking for. I mean, he's, you know, Scripture says, be perfect 
as your Father in heaven is perfect. But I believe that, you know, because we all fail, we all fall short. But at the same time, there is a standard, we understand that. But you know what God looks at? He's looking at what are the motivations? What, what, what are the motives behind why you do what you do? Because that has a greater weight in, in, in the issues of the Christian life. And so I want to just, I, I could go on, but I'm going to leave it there this morning. But I want you just to consider with me. Because remember, according to Joshua, we are at Shechem. We're dealing with the covenant at Shechem. Shechem means that part of the neck. In other words, that bears burdens. And God, through Moses, through Joshua in chapter 8, they had their rehearsal, so to speak. And now in Joshua 24, they are embarking on a very serious and solemn moment in their relationship to God. And there will be these times in our lives. And so uh, there, are, there are choices that have to be made, but we're going to consider that next week. But let me say this. Although the word Shechem refers to weighty matters or the bearing of burdens, let me say this. The scripture tells us in the New Testament that, <clears throat> that this is the love of God. That if we keep his commandments... And his commandments are not burdensome. You see, there is a seriousness in which we engage the Lord. But when, we, when, we, when we're captured by sincerity and truth, it's not, it's not a burden. Amen. Obeying God is not a burden. If it's a burden, then you'll, be, you'll feel restricted and before you know it, you'll cast off the restraint and you'll just go with the inclinations of your heart towards the world and sin and so forth. But if you love the Lord and that is the motivation of your life and why you do what you do, why you get up on Sunday, come to church, why you get up during the week and read your Bible and pray, and seek the Lord on a daily. Men shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's not because of law, it's the law of love. And love, uh, his commandments are not burdensome. And so, there are the dynamics of what's involved. And so I pray that we would just examine our hearts before the Lord this morning. And uh, let us take the time to consider the seriousness of God and the seriousness that's required of us. Let's think for a moment that we are at second and I want to consider further with you next week as we track through these scriptures and where Joshua goes with the people and what God would require of us at second. We want to see what God wants from us at second. But understand this morning that we are there. We are at second. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just praise and bless your holy name. And I just thank you, Lord, for the word that has come forth this morning. And I pray, God, and trust that your spirit would take your word. Your word is like a hammer, God. And Lord, I pray that let the weight of of, of the seriousness of God come upon our hearts. Lord, let us not be distracted by the things of this world. Let us not, Lord, be caught up in the things of this world to the point where we are, our hearts are neglecting and have made light of your word and made light of weighty matters that you have consider, consider of such importance. I pray, God, help us, Lord, to examine, help us, Lord, to make the necessary choices and decisions as we will see 
next week. But God, even now, I pray as you, as you have dealt with individuals that you would help them, Lord, to make those choices now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord.